All right, so here we go, Danny. Oh, sorry. All good, brother. Hello, everyone. My name is Pablo. I'm going to be your host today on the Felixer Ride and Podcast. On uh, the 10th episode, we're at Leone Cafe here in Tivoli Village in Las Vegas. For all of our international listeners, I know you're out there. We had people from Australia and Spain and uh, England listening in. So uh, we have Danny Cam here. Danny, thank you very much, man. Really appreciate your time. I know today you you actually have a race to go to in California. Yep. So thanks for coming out this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know Danny, Danny is a, he's a cyclist to say the least. Um, he's based out of here in Las Vegas, and he he rides a lot, a lot, a lot in California. So, um, Danny, my friend, my longtime friend, um, tell us about yourself, man. Cool, man. Um, a little bit more of a backstory, you know, like. Since you were a little, little where, kid, man, where are you from? We all started. Okay, I grew up in uh, Northern California, uh, near Napa Valley. I was born and raised in, in that uh, area for about 18 years. Went to school there, and then uh, actually got into cycling. Uh, uh, my senior year in high school, freshman year in college, when I went to Napa Valley High School or college. <clears throat> um, moved out here uh, in 2000. Sorry, 1990. Sorry, I graduated in 2000. I moved out here in 1997, I guess, right after my first year of college. Moved out here to go to UNLV. Um, went to school here to graduate uh, with a sports injury management degree, which is, in a lot of colleges, it's called sports medicine okay. or athletic training. You're basically kind of like a, a PT, but in, in, uh, in athletics. Okay. And then uh, had had a... Had ideas of moving back, but just kind of got stuck here in Vegas. Like, like it a lot. What brought you out to Vegas? Like, so we, for school? Or? Yeah, for school. Um, at uh, Napa Valley College, we had a, uh, an internship program uh, through athletic training, and uh, one of the schools that popped up was at, was at UNLV okay. to transfer over, so I moved out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was good. It was a good four years here at UNLV, and uh, I was going to practice sports medicine right out of college, but... Just decided to open a bike shop up, so that's actually kind of my second, my second uh, job, I guess, career change was out of college. I had a couple weird jobs here and there, and then I settled into opening up a bike shop. <clears throat> it was called New Vision Cyclery. Uh, had a partner, a business partner, Mike uh, Hamman, and uh, we had a shop for about, well, shoot, about about a ten years. Um, Moved around here, here and there, in in in, in locations, but uh, yeah, pretty much settled. Most of our three shops were basically in Summerlin area. What what actually got you on the bike? Um, like your first bike. Yeah. Like what, what got you on it? So, I got I used to be a wrestler. A wrestler. Yeah, I raced. I wrestled. I don't yeah. see any cauliflower ears. You know, I know. I wore I wore headgear, but uh, I used to wrestle and uh, got kind of injured in high school. And that's what kind of got me on onto a bike with with rehab, and then uh, my girlfriend at the time in, in college she rode she rode a mountain bike and and that year, I think it was a year before, in 1996 we had the World Cup in Napa Valley, and I just remember like people were just riding like all over and I was like man this is kind of a cool sport so I kind of got started in mountain biking, okay. and then and then when I moved to to uh, to Las Vegas. Road biking was more predominant, it seemed, back then. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got started. A little injury turned into fun. Fun turned into kind of more competitive uh, early season or early years. Um, 
most of my time racing, I guess, from when I was in college to like my bike shop was mostly mountain bike. Right on. So right on. Yeah. Let's let's fast forward over to to today, you know, and 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 how you how you basically ripping through your your kit right now with your massive legs. That's <laughs> uh, genetics. I think I think everyone here at, at the table in Las Vegas is, is, has definitely looked at them and either out of jealousy or, or you know some females just want to climb on and try to grab them. I don't know. Um, Eight seconds. Eight seconds. So in in terms of racing, man, you know, like what's what's your what's your career been like? What what's been your high and lows? I don't know. Uh, so yeah, mountain biking was. I know you just got fifth in nationals. Yep, not got fifth ago, in nationals. It wasn't my best placing. Um, last year I got fourth. But uh, yeah, you know, like from mountain biking into road, that transition was was actually it seemed a little easier because the, the the bike handling skills is definitely a component that you need to have when you race bikes. So when I got into road cycling, it was it seemed kind of natural. Just the fitness was kind of lacking. So um, in fact, when I was mountain biking, we we trained on the road. And then that transition was just okay. Just put more miles in, and you'll get, you'll get, you'll get to be competitive. And um, I'd say my my breakthrough was um, all right. So we'll back, we'll back, we'll back up a little bit. When I first started mountain bike racing, there was this thing called Choose Night Worlds. Okay, it was it was around the uh, Summerlin Library. It, it wasn't at the lakes. It was at Summerlin Library. Okay. Okay, and the Choose Night Worlds was fast. I mean. You had labor power, you had a bunch of guys from the old Falcon team, I mean, just a bunch of fast guys. And they, I, I, it took me like three, four years to like finish a whole hour with them. And that kind of got me excited, and um, I got really good at that, doing that. And people were saying, dude, you need to, you need to um, take up road racing. You need to take up maybe criterion racing. And it took me a while, because I was like, nah, I like mountain biking, mountain biking school. And I think it was like, I think we had this conversation yesterday. Yeah. I think it was like 2005. One of my teammates now, he said, "You know what? Just take, just give, give it a shot. Do, do one year and this like Lance. focus." Yeah, Lance. Okay. And I'm like, you know, I, I'll, it's it's fun, but I don't know if I like it. But I'll I'll give it a shot. I'll give it an honest effort. Like he actually, I think, bet me cash. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So, I planned. I literally planned a whole year to just see how well I do. And back then, you could do a few races. If you do well, you could upgrade. Now it's a way more. There's more points involved. It's actually easier to get your upgrades now because they they have kind of uh, made it less strict. But it was it was when I was moving up, it was a little easier to move up in, in, in category. So they I did a couple races here and there in the off season, and I got my Cat Three license. And then I, I literally said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dedicate one full year and see how well I could go. So I went from a cat to be to a cat one in like I don't know five months, and and in in the off so my off season, it was dedicated to all the track ra- track racing, track cycling. Um, uh, my my coach my track coach uh, Andrew Mirzanoff he he literally like got me started on track racing. So it was it was pretty cool. He gave me workouts to do, and uh, literally I I went from like cat three winning tons of races in cat three. Told myself that I was gonna upgrade only by 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 default or by wins. You know, like I have to win every category to move up. I'm not gonna just get like a bunch of cat like top ten finishes and then move up to cat four. Top you know ten finishes, move up to cat three. I was I wanted to win 
like downright every category, and then and then and then I, I wanted to get my Cat One license. So, how, how, how did your uh, like support system look like at the at the time? Did you have like a mentor? Did you have just a team that was just kind of guiding so, you? Did nope. you already know this stuff? So when I first started, yeah. So when I first started. Um, uh, I, I would say Andrew is my only personal like coach that helped me. Um, like he would see me at the track. Okay, and that was my that was kind of the, the, the beginnings. And then um, and then I have an old time friend, uh, uh, Bobby Julek. I think people know who he is. Uh, he's a coach for Team Sky. But uh, he he kind of gave me just direction. Um, and I had other kind of cool mentors. Uh, you know throughout the country that would help me out but you know it was, when you're in Vegas you're on your own yeah so you know locally geez I get I mean locally I, I had guys that would I would do training rides with like um, David James Matt Smith you know these are all like old labor power guys but yeah when it came down to it they they gave you a little bit of uh, you know a little bit of uh, advice but then you were on your own that's kind of that's kind of probably the next question is there's not a lot of racing in Vegas because I think everybody is just kind of on their own. And, what you, what's your what's your take on this? You know, in a lot of the podcasts we've been talking about the cycling scene in Vegas. I mean, this is actually one of the reasons why we wanted to do the podcast is to find you know get to the root of, of like what's going on in Vegas. You know, um, in terms of cycling and and what's what how do you in envision the, the scene here you know what, what, where do you think it's it's going to or like what are the possibilities of it and what are some of the challenges that you see currently in, in this well, space the, the most the, the yeah I don't think it go, it's going to go any it's going to be the same like historically it's it's been the same like nothing there's not there's growth and then there's you know there's a little bit of growth but then they, there's people there's setbacks so um, you know we had a couple really you know, really motivated uh, promoters in Vegas, but they've all kind of failed. You know, um, not not their fault. Just you know, the lack of support, volunteers, the, the amount of like racers that actually, um, you know, that that race. Um, the most amount of racers in the country are in California. It's only a three-hour, three to four-hour hike drive up to Vegas. Vegas has a lot of opportunity, but those guys are like, we don't want to go to Vegas because. The courses are not well marked. They they're not coned off correctly. They're not barricaded correctly. The, the volunteers suck. The payout is not what it's supposed to be. And there's a bunch of different things. And so everybody in California that I spoke to are like, you know what? We're not gonna we're not gonna even support them unless it's like legit by a legit supporter by by a legit legit uh, promoter. Um, but it's it, it won't, it, I don't think it's gonna grow. And that's not. It kind of kind of sounds kind of negative, but it's not. Good. No, no, I, don't, I, think, I don't. I don't see it going to grow at all. I think it's. I think it's great feedback. I think um, you know, if, if there's anyone in Las Vegas wanting to do something like this, they have to really look in the mirror and, and, and look at reality, you know, and and try to figure out and crack this code. Yeah. There are there are a lot of people in Las Vegas that want this, you know, and and, and I think it's just a matter of the right people doing it. Um, let's uh, let's touch a little bit on your on your training. You know, in, in terms of um, you know your coaching with with other people, um, yep. you know when when you have someone you know new like come to you and, and say, hey, you know I I want to improve in, in this uh, you know racing and, and cycling. Like, what? How how is that? Like, how do you take on a new a new client? You know, a new trainee. Like, yeah. How's that like? I I I like 
um, coaching um, beginners because their growth, their learning curve is like it's just exponential. Like from like learning how to like sponges, right? Yeah, they just and then, and then once they kind of plateau a little bit, then you start getting workouts like legit workouts. But the first few months is all bike handling skills, learning how to change gears. Drinking out of a water bottle cage, you know. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I remember. Like, yeah, we we went out on on a on a couple like training sessions. I remember I came yeah. here and, and and it's like a stupid thing, like you know the way the correct way uh, or the most efficient way to grab a water bottle out of your cage, right? And to put it back. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, I, it's not something that I ever thought to look up on the internet or ask someone because I felt like an idiot asking that, you know. But there is a right way to do it, and little things like that, you know. Yeah, and I and I'm I'm like very observant when I race, and it's amazing how many people still do it incorrectly, or just doing things that are like, um, like just bad habits. So if you're if you're just beginning, it's it's cool to teach them what I know, my personal experience, like just giving them as much information, no secrets, just all the information. Like yeah, it'll take a while to get you to a Cat Four light um, upgrade, buddy, but you know. You gotta do ten races, you know, like, and these are how you're gonna do them, you know, like. I just give my my clients like the most knowledge and information, and, and if they can absorb like more than half of it, they're doing good. They're doing better than I I was, because I was kind of put out, you know, in the middle of nowhere. So that's my favorite Co- coaching guys that are like cat threes and above. Uh, um, yeah, it's 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 more work on me because I had to ride harder. Obviously, but it's it's more specific. More uh, there's more analysis on any to do, um, and it's way more uh, fine tuned. Um, with the, with the, my new guys, I love it because it's just you go out there and have fun and ride and and um, and like let them learn. Like they learn quick. It's amazing. Yeah, it's cool. Okay. So leading up to your to your races, um, to talk about you know the the. the the mental performance of, of anyone who gets on a bike, you know, before races, do you have any type of rituals or anything uh, that crosses your mind before you're gonna, uh, you know, go 30 miles an hour for three hours, like, you know? Yeah. I, no, I don't have, you know, used, I used to, I think what, yeah, I've been doing it for so long, um, I have no more rituals, man. Like, um, I think when you were, when I was nervous racing, because I wasn't, confident in myself I, I would make sure I, I, I ate proper I ate the same things that didn't make me sick I um, put the same socks on that I always you know raced on I had good luck gloves you know everything had to be perfect in line yeah but I think now like shoot I just did a race where I, I went I came in late to the event and I, and I threw my clothes on and I was ready to go like it didn't bother me like I didn't like start nervous you know I think when you get to the point where you're just confident and you feel competitive in your category, I don't think you need to, there's no worries, you know, and I don't, I don't prepare myself to any different. Um, yeah, it's nice to get to a race a day before, but like today, I, I'm going to leave this podcast, drive to San Marcos, you know, it's five hours away, I'm going to barely make it, and I'll be, I'll warm up the first three laps, and then hopefully I'll do well, you know, and, and mentally, uh, uh, you know, just knowing who to, follow I mean it's just it's all strategy it's all if your fitness is not there you're not gonna you're not gonna do well you know you have to have you have to have fitness before you can start doing events in terms of uh, you, you just mentioned like you know nutrition and cooking and, and I 
I follow you on on Instagram, and you put out some amazing yeah. dishes, man. Right? So you 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 love cooking. Yep, what's, love cooking. What, 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 what's this about? I love cooking as much as I like cycling. Um, so I think growing up in Northern California, I think it's a, it a big food culture. I mean, in Vegas, it's a big food culture, but you gotta have a lot of money to eat at every fancy restaurant. So. It just made it just made me like realize, you know what? I could probably do that. You know, I'm gonna challenge myself to cook the way these chefs could cook. You know, and and luckily I, there's a lot of a lot of cyclists in in the food and wine industry, so it's it's kind of nice to pick their brain, kind of like other cyclists picking my brain about things in, in racing. You know, so I just I enjoy cooking. Like cook. I mean, I I follow you know chefs. Um, and, and their and their styles, and I kind of create my own, and um, and that's one thing about nutrition is I think if you eat if you if you, you you're gonna be healthier if you eat clean, and to eat clean you cook your own food, you don't eat processed stuff. Like I hardly go out anymore, so I believe I cook better than a lot of restaurants. Like I feel like I could cook and say you know, and that's funny. I always make, have this ongoing joke is like when I look at after I plate my food, I plate my food. It's kind of weird because it's only me, like party one. But I still plate my food to take an Instagram photo, and I'm like, yeah, I'd buy that. And if I could say that, then I'll take the photo and I'll I'll post it on Instagram. If, it's, if, it, kind of, if it looks kind of crappy, then I'm like, all right, maybe I'll put that on Twitter. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of the ongoing have joke. Ever, but have you thought of uh, opening up your own your own spot? You know. You know, I talking to a lot of the chefs and and my friends that are in the food industry, it's. It seems like glamorous and fun, but you know I worked in a restaurant before, and dude, it's not. Yeah. So I think, and, and, and a lot well, you're, of my you're friends. A slave, right? Oh, I think you you are totally, totally a slave, and it's your baby, so you have to make it perfect, you know. And if you don't know when you're not there, I think the quality goes down, and this is a cutthroat city. If you if, if your food sucks, then people are not going to show up anymore, you know. And then you gotta, then you're just putting out fires when you come back, you know. So I, I think I, I would have. It would be neat to have to have a restaurant, but I think that it would just be a tough one. And and a lot of my friends that are chefs, they they come home to like just normal people food, and, or or worse, they'll go out and just eat late night food and, and 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 come home and do it all over again. So I, I think uh, and and again, like my friends that are chefs, they're like talking to me like, yeah, dude, you're crazy for like trying to make a foie torchon, or you're trying, you're crazy for. Like last night, I made duck confit, and they're like, "Dude, you're crazy for doing that. Like, why would you make that that that? You go to Bouchon and eat that shit, you know? So it's kind of funny. Like, oh, I like it, you know? It's kind of fun. Has, has your travels in Europe inspired you? Uh, oh, totally. For, for this stuff. Yeah. So like, spending time in uh, in like Belgium, Italy, um, mostly Belgium. Uh, well, I usually go during the classics. Um, Wow, so good food, you know. And then going into France, that's just that's the best food out there, really. Um, but yeah, going going to the classics and hanging out with, you know, George Hincapie is a good friend of mine, and you know, going to those restaurants that his team take take took him. It's just like wow, that this is like this is the culture. This is not even like this is not like glamorous or whatever. This is just daily daily life. Is going going to the meat market and your meat, going to the you know, going to the fish market, getting fish, going going to the produce place, get produce, and then making your own food at home. If you could bring one bri- uh, one product back from Europe, what would it be? Oh, ingredient. Geez. Ingredient? Yeah. That you can't get here. Yeah. 
You can't get here. You can get everything here. You can. Um, bread. Like really good bread. Isn't that amazing? How yeah. It's bread, like, right? Yeah, people always ask me, like, what would be your last meal if you had one more meal to eat? I'm like, you know what? Give me, like, a crap load of, like, breads, cheeses, What do you meats. think it is? The water from there or what? Uh, it's a bunch of, I think it's a bunch of variables. The flour. You could get the flour here. I mean, I use, like, I mean, I have, I have, like, I use double zero, like, caputo, like, flour and make pastas every day. Like, I, I make pasta almost every day. That's my, my usually go-to lunch, is a homemade pasta. All right, but, so uh, I, want to, I want to get into this. Uh, I, I met your friend Lance, right, yep. that, that you mentioned um, yep. a little bit ago. I met him yesterday, and he said to, to ask you about the pink underwear. Pink underwear? Yeah. Oh, so what, what's the story behind the pink underwear? Uh, I mean, you got you to gotta, you gotta do it. You got to say it, whatever it is. <laughs> Uh, I can't say it. On, if there are any podcast. women or children, or you know, no, close their ears. The, yeah, that's. I would have to PG PG thirteen it. Okay, what's, down, what's the PG thirteen version? Well, we've traveled a lot, and um, we 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 travel a lot. So when when we're when we're on our, when we're on team team events, we might we might we might uh, we might like room four or five guys into a hotel room and. So we were at we were at this one race where we had like two rooms, and um, this is this is the first year I think our team. Uh, this is our first year our team was all like traveling together. So you know everybody has like different. Good. Yep. Everybody has different. Um, I don't know, like things that they do. So. And different rituals, I guess. Like, we have one guy that was, like, completely, like, vegan, so he had to bring his own food. One person, you know, had, he was just all about, like, manicuring himself, like, all day long. So he had his own thing. So what had, do you mean by manicuring? Like, he had, he would have, like, clippers and hair gel. I mean, we're at a bike race, and you gotta, like, look good. Like, we're, we're all oh, here yeah, to, yeah, like, yeah. race our bikes, you no, know? No, yeah, I see it, yeah. And then, um, and so everybody had these weird things, but... I, I don't know how this pink underwear thing came about, but I I have like I wear pink underwear. Not okay. <laughs> I have a color pair, okay. but that, those but that was back then. That was like a, a, a like a good like it was like one of my back in the day. It was like one of those rituals where you I wore my pink underwear because I think I won Manhattan Beach Grand Prix and that ho- that weekend I I had pink underwear on. So I was like, you know what? From, from here on out, I'm gonna wear pink underwear because it's a good luck pair of underwear. So I had pink underwear. Anyways, we we end up joking about that because it was just laying there on the on the on, on, on the counter and people thought we had a girl in the in the hotel room, but it wasn't. It was just my my underwear. So that's that's pretty much it. But that's that's the PG thirteen of it. But I love it. Yeah, I love it. And then there was also one one request um, from a, from a good friend of yours. Uh, he 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 told me to ask you about your supercomputer. Oh, that's. Whatever. What is this about? So, it's, it's nothing. It's not that exciting. So when I had my shop, which was 2002 to like 2013-ish, you know, we had we had, we had an, a POS computer and um, point of sale computer. It was an old. It's just a really old like retail computer, but I kept it and it has all my music, all my all my crap in there so I still have it but it's in my garage 
and I do my home, I do my work on it. I do all my workouts. I, I it still works completely great, but it takes like ten minutes to boot up. So when when my clients come, they always laugh. Like if they're my first client, I'm I'm sitting at my computer. It takes like ten minutes to warm up. So they he, they always say, oh my god, this thing like probably runs. You know the whole city with this computer, da 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 da. So it's kind of it's it's what it is. I mean, I get it's just, it. I get yeah. It. All right. Cool. It's just old. All right. Well, we, we have a we have a nice crowd here um, live. So why don't we go around and, and, and sort of ask them some questions? Renato. Renato, I think has a question. I got one. It's uh, Renato LeBron, and uh, I want to know what was your virgin ride up the unicycle up Mount Charleston? When was that? Oh, geez. Okay. So, um, so the Mount Charleston yeah. hook climb is a. On a four or five thousand feet climb, seventeen and a half miles, it goes from Highway ninety five up to the overlook or the helo pad on Mount Charleston. So there's an event every year, usually like in November, I guess. So end of the season, um, one year my bike was broken. I crashed it in a bike race, so I had no bike. So we were all kind of just joking around at the bike shop, and uh, one of my buddies, I think it was, I think it was maybe Mark Keller. Just a local guy, cool cat. He's like, you know what? If you don't have a bike, you should just ride your unicycle up the hill. And I'm like, you know, that's a great idea. I wonder how long it would take me if, or, you know, if I could do it. So I got on it uh, around the neighborhood, and I'm like, I put in like 10 miles. I'm like shit, I could do this. So the next day I did it, and I wasn't last. I think I was like, I don't know. That's insane. Yeah, I think I beat a couple people here. But it, it was, I think my, so my, my first, yeah, my first time was like two hours, 15 minutes. And then my goal was to always beat two hours. Thank you. So that's, yeah, so I've been doing it every year. Um, it's kind of a spectacle now, all the kids. Yeah, last year it rained. It like rained hard. So about mile five, this guy is on the side of the street. He's got an umbrella. And he goes, do you want my umbrella? And I'm like, that's a good idea. So he throws it at me while it's completely open. I catch it. I almost eat shit. And then from, from the last 12 miles, I'm, I'm, I have this purple umbrella and I'm climbing. But dude, I get to the top of the mountain, totally dry. And everybody else is completely wet. It was, it was actually pretty funny. And then, uh, and then it, it, the, the umbrella was of a college, a university like in the Midwest. And like that picture, because the label was on there, was on like one of their ads in, in, at, at the university. It's pretty fun. I gotta, I'll find it. It's pretty, pretty good. But it's, a good, it's good. I do it for fun. And I don't, I'm not a hill climber anyway, so doing it just to have fun. You know, I know my real time's on a bike, but yeah. Two hours. I do about two hours every year. It's good. Questions, questions. So nobody, nobody out there listening knows that Danny has um, these awesome chickens, <laughs> and and he really should talk about his chickens because they are kind of the love of his life. Thank you very much. Yeah, they're my babies. Um, so I started out with four chickens. Okay, well we'll start from the beginning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> why, why did you even start? This you gotta talk about building the chickens. So I I uh, I like eggs. I love eggs. I eat eggs every day, and I like to eat relatively organic healthy um i may be i may eat crappy like crappy healthy food but at least it's like for, you know whatever um but i i love eating 
fresh food. And, and I, I told myself, you know, I think I could do this. All this urban farming um, websites coming out and uh, learning how to like raise your own, you know, animals and, you know, grow your own garden, whatever. I, I figured I could do it. So I, I went online and found uh, a few chickens for sale. And I have a really good friend of mine that he kind of egged me on to do it, doing it too. He's got a, he's got a farm actually in Malibu. Um, so he was like, you know, you got to do it. You got, you got to do it. So we bought, I bought chickens and I raised them and I have eggs and I have fresh eggs every day. And I have four, um, pink Beyonce, uh, Taylor Swift and, uh, McIntyre. They're all, they're all ladies singers names. And so I started out with four. I have, I've had them for over a year now and now I have 10. So I have 10 chickens. You have 10 now? I have 10 chickens, yeah. No, I got 10. That's what, 10 eggs a day? 10 eggs a day. When they were at full maturity, there'll be 10 eggs a day. So I'll have 70. You know, when they're, put, when they're putting out full gas, you know, I think two years is when they bat 1,000-ish. So you're getting an egg a day. So you're getting 70 eggs a week. I mean, at, at, at full gas. But I think once they start getting a little older, they don't produce every day. So I'll still have, I'll have plenty a week. But I try to eat like two, three eggs a day. That's kind of a, min, a morning ritual is I eat two, three eggs a day. So, And then pasta is always good with eggs. Did the chicken obsession happen after your Oh, geez, you guys know me well. So yeah, it, it was kind of all jumbled up, but yeah. Uh, one morning I wake up, I hear this chirping outside and there's a little nest with a hummingbird on it. And I am wondering what the hell's going on. So I walk outside, there's two eggs outside my master, my master bedroom. And so I'm like, this is crazy. So I just been, I, every day I, I take a picture of the, the nest and then one day, one egg's cracked with a little, with a little chick in there. And then the next day, the, ne the next one's open. And now there's two chicklets, whatever you want to call it, little hum hummingbirds, baby hummingbirds. And the baby, or the, and the mom, and I, and I, and I literally raised, I raised one died, but I, I raised the other one, and so she still comes back. So it's the Lola and Tic Tacs, their names. So every morning I wake, I open the garage door, and she literally flies from the backyard to the front yard, and and then like literally like within the next few weeks, I'm like, you know what? If I could raise hummingbird, I could probably raise a chicken, and that's kind of that's the that's the full story. So along with raising the chickens, you often take chickens with you on road trips. Just once. Just once. <laughs> Taylor Swift. Dax was asking what, what kind of uh, chickens do you have? So I have, uh, I have leghorns, um, like foghorn leghorn, the white one with the red cone. Um, Rhode Island red. I have a Plymouth, Plymouth Rock, barred Plymouth Rock. Those are kind of cool, black and white. That one's, her name's uh, Alicia Keys. And then uh, I have what else? Who else do I have? Did you do? Did you make research? Or did someone? I did research. I did a little bit of research. Um, you know, it's it's cool. Like anywhere else other than Vegas, I think people have chicken. I mean, like if you live out where you can have chickens, I think it's pretty pretty legit. But uh, yeah, like they're all good layers. They all good. They're good in the heat. I did research on making sure they're sustainable and they're hardy chickens, like for our kind of temperatures. Um, yeah, leghorns. So yeah, if you're into, if you want to raise your own chickens, I, I would go with like leghorns, Rhode Island Reds. Um, I have a black sex link, a golden sex link, barred rock. I have a couple of Arcan Arcanas, Americanas, 
Americanas are um, they're they're called Easter eggers. They lay like blue eggs, pink pinkish eggs, uh, gray eggs, the colorful ones. So I have all of them. I have like a bunch of them. Right on. Well, right on. Good times, yeah. Is, is there any chance? Is there any chance uh, one of the chicken will end up f fusing with your be with you being a chef and? Yeah. So uh, that that's been a question. Um, You know, I think I would. It's, it would be tough. Um, it, it would it would have to be like on his deathbed. So, so in, in France, there's a there's a there's a there's a dish called coquevin, and I would probably do that. So when when the chicken's about to really like on on his deathbed, I'd probably put it to sleep, and then yeah, I would eat it. I, yeah, but like to like once it stops laying eggs, I'm gonna still. Keep, keep her as a pet. Like, I'm not gonna like say, okay, you're not, you're not laying eggs anymore, I'm gonna, keep, I'm gonna kill you. I'm not gonna do that, but like, if the chicken's like totally like hurting pretty good, I think, I think it's, I think it's pretty, pretty cool to do that. You, do you talk to your chickens? Do you like have conversations with Yeah, so, no, no, like, oh, all right. People have conversations with their dogs and stuff. No, 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 so yeah, it, um, so if you, you, if you, do you share your secrets? Like, so yeah, my, This is okay. Now we're getting to some cycling to chickens, but this yeah, is cool. Well, you know. um, so every morning I'm yeah. So every morning I massage my chickens uh, about five about five minutes. Yeah, five minutes each. They used to go ten minutes each, but now I have ten, so it's about an hour worth of massaging. Um, I lay them on its back and I massage their stomach. Yeah, I make them move their legs. If you follow me on. Um, Instagram, I guess, or Snapchat. Snapchat. You'll see, you'll see the real, the real Danny. But yeah, I massage them every day. I play with them. Um, I dress them up in sweaters and stuff like that. It's pretty, it's pretty strange, but they do tricks. They know how to jump through things and play dead. They play dead well. Oh, favorite TV? I don't watch a lot of TV. Oh, uh, well, Food Network. Yeah, Cake Wars. Actually, I thought Adult Swim might be their thing. No. Robot chicken? No, they, they do. Well, I have the TV on. They always watch. They, they come inside my house and they, they hang out once in a while. But. You have a chicken door. And they're potty trained. It's kind of weird. Potty trained? No. They're house broken chickens. How did you do that? Did you show them? Yeah, I did with, with treats. With treats. So they like us, the harvest snaps, the little crispy snap. They're kind of expensive, but they like those. And grubs, but. I give them that for tricks. So we, we've yep. we've, uh, we've touched on cycling. We've touched on you know the I think the two of the three loves of your life, right? Cycling, cycling, chickens. food. Well, I, I was thinking uh, the the fe uh, females, <laughs> the, the gazelles, the, the gazelles, the the tigresses. Oh jeez. You know, um, I, I mean, come on, everyone, everyone uh, knows that you you love sharing the love, right? So <laughs> you have so much. What do you? What do you? So much to yeah, give. You have a lot to share. You, know? you got legs. You got what? What do you look for out there? There's and, no. And, yeah. And, and, what is your training program? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. What? What? Honestly, honestly, it's it's it, it's a cultural thing for some people. So, like, what? What do you? What really gets you in a in a woman? Like, what? What attracts you to them? Uh, you know, this is probably. There has to be something deep than, than, than just, it is, it is just deep. the eyes and. and I yeah. think we're all well. Most of our, us are here are men, but if, if you're if you have a, if you're married or you're engaged or you have a girlfriend or whatever, 
it's, tight, it's tough to have that um, partnership where you're able to like say, okay, babe, I'm gonna go out and ride. Okay, this, but tomorrow I'll, I'll sleep in and I'll spin with you. I, I, you know, I, I, to have I that had, time. I had this conversation, you know, last night, right? Yeah. And we talk about it with my, with my fiance. It's a true, it's a true thing. It's a battle, man. It's, it's, a, it's a real conversation that happens, yep. right? It is. Like, why aren't you staying at home, you know? like It's a battle. And, 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 and I personally, like, why am I getting up to ride if I, if I can stay in bed? So, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I mean. It's a true thing. Um, it, it will come up, if, especially when you start getting, and this is a, addicting addictive sport and and it's such a crazy sport because if you don't put the miles in you're not going to get better so the more the, the more you see yourself uh excelling and you know seeing success and seeing improvements in cycling you're putting more miles in i, I don't know anybody that has that puts less miles in time the saddle and becomes better as a cyclist that doesn't work right you know um i'm not saying more you know less is more or you know training smart is not necessarily putting in a thousand miles a week, but yes, it, it does dig into your your family lifetime, your time, and your family and your, your loved ones. And, and yeah, they can't. If there's no um, compromise there, it, it, it does uh, put a strain on your on your relationship. And that's I think um, I look into. I look, obviously you have to be cool and you be cute and smart and fun and all that stuff. But yeah, if she can't if she can't uh, deal with the time that I have to put in. To be a successful cyclist, I think it's a no-go for me. It, it sucks, but you know, yeah, it's, that's, that's that's a huge thing. Yeah, I, I, you know, I can respect that. I mean, you, you know, you, and you said you said you talked about it. Yeah, no, with, I can I can I can totally respect that. And, and, it, and it's funny that you say about like the time of the bike because uh, you you are probably one of the few people that that I know of that you know takes look at cycling or cycling is a career, you know, for you, and, 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 and you race, right? And every weekend you're going to California, yes. right? So what what do you think are, are what does it take for a Las Vegas-based cyclist to actually become a cycling racer? Um, what, what do you think, you know? So I would, if, if you want to be a relatively serious, if you want to be a serious cyclist racer in Vegas but not take away from your family time you, you really need to pick your A races and then your secondary races and really focus on the ones that you really want to succeed in and if you can't make the other ones then don't um, yeah I've, I've traveled every weekend except for April 3rd weekend from January 8th to now I've only missed one weekend that's a lot of weekends being out of town. If I had a current girlfriend, I would be fired like many times, right? Because yeah. it's like every weekend gone, and it's hard to integrate vacation time with your race weekend because you're you're mentally not going to be in into like sitting on the beach with your girl and having a margarita. So it's like she doesn't want you don't want to drag her along. So if you want to be a good cyclist racer in Vegas, yeah, pick and choose your your races. Find your A races, find your B races, and, and just be consistent with it. Because then, if there's no legitimate pattern, then your, your loved one's gonna be hating you. You're gonna be like, "Why? Why are you doing three weeks, three week, three weekends in a row? You're out of town. And then you're, you gotta stay in town this weekend." Versus like, "Okay, honey, I'm gonna do um, every third week weekend." And then now she knows she's you planned ahead. You made you made an actual calendar, and these are the weekends you're gonna take off. And I think that's gonna make you a better. I think a family guy, I think, I don't know, I don't have families, but I think 
you'll you'll have more of a sustainable, you know, I don't know, well, no, relationship I mean, with a girl. Some, it's something to think about because you know you you obviously like manage your time. Yeah, right. You have you, to. You, you have you have uh, time management with your racing and, yep. and your clients, and then also you teach classes, right? right. Indoor cycling. So yeah, I'm a um, exclusive uh, lifetime um, instructor at, at Lifetime Athletic. How would you describe teach. your classes? I love my classes. Um, and how, how, how would you describe indoor cycling in general? Like, what do you think about it? So, in, yes. So, um, I think it's definitely it has definitely evolved from like just spinning, getting crazy, and going like 140 RPMs to like more uh, structured workouts where we're using heart rate, we're using power meters now. Um, and there's and there's definitely plans. There's definitely workout plans that we, we try to follow. Uh, my classes are great. I mean, it's, there's not a ton of raw, raw, raw. It's more, okay, we're going to do like, you know, four intervals, five minutes each. We're going to do it throughout the hour. We're going to have a, a sufficient amount of recovery time. That, that's the plan. And then we try to initiate it, you know. And, and I think a lot of my clients, a lot of the members at Lifetime, they, they respect that because they know that I'm doing the workout with them. So all, it's, if you've never been there, it's great. Your, the screen we have we have a huge projector screen and it shows everybody's heart rate with their name underneath it so if and my name's on there with my heart rate so it's it's a legit workout it's like okay well if, if Danny's in zone 4 then I should be in zone 4 or it's like oh wow like I'm the only person that's not in zone 4 maybe I need to step up my game so it's a really cool like way of getting getting a good workout in indoor if you don't have time to time to go outdoor Right. For me, it's I need that indoor time because to be outdoor all day long just sucks. I mean, it's 100, 100 degrees today. You know, to be outdoor for five six hours a day that's that's a lot of that's a lot of stress on your body and on your on your on your mind. So teaching my classes allows me to have a social life. I can talk to people that are not cyclists, that are just gym goers, keeps me sane, and then it's just another way to getting your workout in. It's fun. All right, so we're we're about about to wrap this up. Um, if I could really quickly get a takeaway, what what are some of your uh, pet peeves uh, that you've seen in group rides that you think could easily be tweaked um, and and fixed? It's just about um, knowing about it. Pet peeves in, in group rides and just yeah, in just general. a big in general. Yeah. Well, what like what do you think could easily just be fixed if they knew about it? Like if riders knew about it. Every rider should take, there should be like a course where there's like beginners learning how to ride smart. Right? And yeah, 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 yeah. And then just on the, on the beginner end, and then I'm, I'm going to bash on the guys that are experienced. The experienced riders that I think that they know how to race um, and ride fast and hard and tactically savvy. Well, they may be really fit and smart, but they're, if they're riding with guys that are not, you're putting those guys in danger. So don't don't ride like it like you're racing your bike, you know. When it, and this is the we were talking about this yesterday. There's there's 117 riders in Vegas that owns a USA Cycling license. Only 46 have done at least one mass start. Not necessarily finished the the mass start, but started. So we have 117 registered USA Cycling riders that live in Vegas right now. 46 have done one, at least one event. 46. So it's like, okay, and then we have 12 teams in Vegas. 12 teams. And I know every one of you, every one of you have done one race, 
on my phone, I have your stats. And I always talk to people, like, if you want to, if you want to, like, you know, have this little swinging contest, let's just, let's look at the scoreboard right now. Let's look at the scoreboard. Because, yeah, you've only done three events, and you're out here on Saturday shootout, and you're trying to, like, bully people. Don't bully people. Be kind and teach this person that is just learning how to ride a bike and grow our, our culture. That's my biggest pet peeve. Because when it comes down to it, you may have this cool looking jersey, but you're not you're not racing, buddy. You're here on Saturday. You're here on Saturday trying to go hard. Instead of being in a race. You should be taking it easy on Saturday because you're traveling with me maybe to San Marcos in about an hour. But you're here, you know, at 5.30 in the morning beating up on some guy that has like, you know, panniers and, you know, whatever. So it's, it, it, that, 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 the, the crossing the bridge from racer to beginner, from beginner to racer, we should have, we should meet a little more in the middle. That's my biggest pet peeve is seeing guys half wheeling each other and, and, and it just gets, it gets dangerous ultimately. I don't, I don't like riding in groups. I, I ride like one group ride a week and I'm always on edge because it's like, Okay, that person is skillful. He's not skillful. That person's like, totally in the box. This person's not even paying attention because it's too easy. He's too confident. His heart rate's super low, and he's not paying attention. He's going to be the one that's crashing everybody else out because he thinks he's overconfident. And this is too easy of a ride. And that's my pet peeve. Like, dude, protect your front wheel. Have fun. Enjoy it. Talk to people. You know, teach each other. I mean, what, what you're saying is, is so true, and what you're saying also is, is that you're observing everything that's going on around you yep. while you're riding, and you're right. seeing what's see happening, it. right? Yep. I think that's that's something that a, a lot of us, including myself, you know, we forget about doing. You know, and, and it's it's good to hear that. Yeah. It's good to hear that for sure. What? Yeah. And this is the thing. Like when when you're, if, say, if you're just a weekend warrior and you, you feel pretty good about your 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 fitness level, when you are when you are in the box, you may think you're still riding well, but you're probably not. So that's the only advice I could give you when you're riding in group, group rides. Man, when your heart rate's up, think about your, how your position is, where you are, where, are, you, are you half wheeling, like, are you riding sloppy? Because I've seen a lot of guys that are like super in the box and, and, and they're like all over the road. You know, the person next to you might not be in the box, but you might crash that person out because you're not riding straight anymore, you know? And, and for me, a lot of the group rides that I do, you know, it's, for me, it's like a, a lot easier of a ride, you know, it's group ride setting. And I, I can see guys that are in the box, not in the box, and I'm like, okay, that person's dangerous, that person's pretty safe. You know, I'm able to analyze that because while everybody else is in the box or not in the box, my heart rate's at resting almost, you know, on these easier group rides. Yeah, when, when the group rides are hard, Obviously, if my heart rate's maxed out, I'm I'm cognitively thinking: Am I riding unsafe? It's not just about everybody else. I got to think about myself too. Like, am I doing things right? Am I drafting correctly? Am I half willing? I don't want to hurt myself or someone else, especially on a group ride. So I I mean I always check myself before I legitimately wreck myself. You know? Yeah. For sure. So. <laughs> yeah. Who was that? I don't know. It's a it's a wrong. Check yourself before you break yourself. Yeah. Old rap song. Yeah. All right, man. Um, last question. I just, I just thought about that too. Um, what's your most memorable race? Okay. This is, this is good. There's uh, two parts. But my mo- most memorable race was winning Manhattan Beach Grand Prix in 2008 or six. 
Um, it's just a really tough race. It's an NRC race. I sprinted it out with uh, an old teammate, and it's it's one of those courses where it's just one one big hot dog shaped looking course. It's it's two one eighties, and uh, to win that race, you had to be pretty much the first out of that last corner. But it's it's a one eighty going down into a corkscrew, and it's like a I don't know three hundred meter sprint to then definitely my most memorable race uh, that I won as a Cat 2 racer. And then recently, last year, was um, Chicago Criteria, or Chicago Intelligentsia Cup, where I, I won the last two races um, yeah, with, with just one other teammate. It was, it was awesome because it was a huge supported event, uh, lots of good racers, and it was the first time I was drug, drug tested. <laughs> at an event, so it was kind of, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm racing with the big boys. Yeah. I'm getting drug tested, you know, big event. I got, a, I get, I get to wear a jersey. You got full service. I got, it was crazy. I got all the experience. So it's awesome. Yeah. Listen, man, I really, really, no extremely problem. appreciate you. your time. I know you got to jet out of here to a race. So good times. Thank you, bro. Cool. Thank you. All right, man. All right, guys. Uh, that's it. Thank you for listening in. If you get a chance, check out. Um, the other uh, podcasts that we have at Felixer.com. Uh Thank you, and we'll see you next time.